Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see everyone. Um, I want to welcome everybody here. I want to welcome everybody who's streaming the service online. So on Friday, I started feeling a little funny, and uh, I thought it was allergies, and uh, I've determined now I think it's puberty, but (laughs) sorry, I wanted to say that. So it's not allergies, and it's not puberty, and I haven't taken up smoking either, but uh, I've got a cold, and so um, that's why I didn't greet uh, out this morning, and that's why I'm not going to greet after the service this morning. And I want you to know, I absolutely hate that when it happens. I feel like if I can't talk with my people, I feel in some way like I've been placed in the penalty box. And so I really feel that strongly, and so um, it is really the care, uh, character of our church uh, to be welcoming to all. So I'm going to try to get through this. We're going to work on this together, okay? I am pretty drugged up. So, so this has real potential to just travel all over the place, but we're going we're gonna to do, do our best with it this morning. Um, when we left off last week, um, when we left off last week, we left off with this passage of Scripture. And we acknowledge that this is a passage of Scripture that is easy to miss because it happens in Luke chapter 2, and there's a lot of stuff that happens in Luke chapter 2. Uh, Jesus is born. Kind of important. After Jesus is born, he's presented in the temple eight days after he's born. And we have these incredible uh, relational encounters with two people that hung out a lot in the temple, uh, Simeon and Anna. And they, in a way, give an affirmation as to who Jesus is uh, in his lordship. And you would imagine that Mary and Joseph are just trying to get their minds and hearts around all that is happening in this moment. Then then we don't hear anything else till Jesus turns 12. And when when he turns 12, they are now participating. Luke picks the story up and they're participating in the feast of the Passover. And um, they are traveling to Jerusalem and they lose Jesus along the way. That's always a really scary kind of a thing. And so eventually they find him. He's in the temple. He makes an interesting observation about being in the temple. And then um, Luke ends with this phrase. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And if you were with us last week, here's what we focused on. We focused on in favor with God and man. Say it with me in favor with God and man. And we looked at that, and we here's what we said. And I want to make sure that I explain it. Um, we, we said that this is a, a tip of the hat, that God and humanity was bestowing benevolence on Jesus. Benevolence means goodwill. So there was goodwill between God, we would understand that, and there was goodwill with respect to humanity. This is where it started. And we, we just kind of made some notes about this being really, really important to us because this idea of God and man is going to go on forever. There's not going to be an ending to it. 
The community that God is establishing, the community that God is building is a community that's going to go on forever. Someone say amen to that, right? So that's very good. And we looked at this phrase, I think this observation from Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors about the Christian experience. And he said, God's aim in human history is the creation of an inclusive community of loving persons with himself included as its primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. And so we just made an observation there that this is kind of a forever relationship. So it's important for us to talk about this. It's important for us um, to think about this. And I was thinking because February is generally speaking a time when we focus on relationships. In fact, I want to pause this message to offer a brief public service announcement. (laughs) Wednesday is Valentine's Day. Just for anybody that might need to be aware of that, okay? You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay, all right, back to the message. All right, here we go. Now, if you're with us, we looked at three principles that emerged out of the life of Jesus when we think about our relational world. And so I want to really give this foundation because we're going to dig deeper this morning. It's going to get very practical, okay? So here's the first one we looked at. We've been created to live uh, in relationship with one another. So this is God's design. God's design uh, is that you and I learn how to do our relational world well, how many of you by a show of hands would say, you know, I probably have at least one relationship in my circle that could use a little sprucing up. Come on. I didn't even say clap. Somebody's clapping. All right. Okay. So this is wonderful. If we could just stay here, this is awesome. We've been created in relationship to, uh, to live in relationship with each other. God modeled this for us. This is awesome. But the challenge comes in when you get to this next observation. Relational success or flourishing isn't guaranteed or even natural. It's a learned skill. When we enter into a relationship with somebody, um, we don't get an owner's manual about the relationship. Tips and trades on getting, uh, having a good relationship with Carl. Tips and tricks about how to do life with Sue. We don't, we don't really do that. I remember, I remember thinking when Beth and I, when I was about to propose to Beth, and uh, I remember this is back in the day um, when I met uh, Beth. She came to school. I, was, I met a friend from Texas who became a really good friend of mine. He kept telling me, he said, there's this girl you ought to meet. I had just kind of stepped out of a relationship to go to seminary, and I wasn't really interested. And voila, she walked into a class, and I went, I'm kind of interested. Okay? And, uh, and I can remember as things progressed, there came to this moment when I was really legitimately thinking about... Um, proposing to her and I just I began I remember I can remember this very distinctly I walked around the seminary campus I crossed the street I walked over to the university campus and I was just kind of distilling in my mind and heart you know everything I was thinking about about our relationship if I proposed and here's what I was thinking about I was thinking about I'm embarrassed to tell you this I was thinking about all of the ways she would fulfill all of my expectations come on right I wasn't thinking in any, any regard about um, my, uh, the expectations she would place on me. I was thinking about the expectations I would place on her. And when I think about my expectations, right, they're perfect. They're, <laughs> right? And so when we got married, marriage is really a transaction. When you think about it, you, you give somebody a ring and you give them your box of expectations, and uh, in that moment, the ring might look pretty and feel nice, but the expectations weigh 100 pounds. 
and you exchange. So that's kind of thing. So it's not, it's not guaranteed. It's not even natural to us. It's a learned skill. And so if you're with us last week, here's what we talked about. Moving on, we said this. So we have to develop an apprenticeship with Jesus as being the best way to guarantee sort of what I would call um, relational flourishing. Now this week, what I want to do is I want to build on these three truths. So all of us are here. All of us have, um, we're self-identifying at least one relationship that I think um, needs some sprucing up. And that's kind of, kind of universal for all of us, right? We all have relationships that need to be spruced up. But here's what I was thinking about this. I want to push into a passage of scripture that we looked at last week as the perfect vehicle to get underneath the hood toward the idea of what I want us to think about if we really want our relationships to work well, okay? So we're going to take a relational class this morning. And um, I want to read to you from Colossians 3. We touched on this last week. This is the verse of scripture that Beth preemptively and very wisely had engraved in my wedding ring uh, because she probably foresaw problems in the future. And so, um, and so we're going to read it. If you would stand with me as we honor God's word. And again, forgive my voice. So uh, uh, Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. So Paul has just said all these things about the challenging part of relationships, the, the negative part, the hard part. And then he gets to this phrase and he says this. He says, therefore, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion. Clothe yourselves with compassion. Clothe yourselves with kindness. Clothe yourself with humility and with gentleness and patience. Wow. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Okay? Word of God for the people of God. We say thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, would you meet us here in this space? Uh, Would you help people get past my scratchy voice? Uh, so that they could, uh, we could all collectively have an experience around your word. Um, many of us, my sense uh, would be, are in places, all of us have a place somewhere where, where it's tense, uh, where it's not healthy, where it needs to improve. And uh, God, some of us feeling pretty defeated about that. But by your grace, Lord, in your grace, would you give us a vision this morning, maybe of how things could improve and be better. And I pray that you would show up by the power of your spirit and that for everybody online, everybody in the space, everybody podcasting service later, that you might manifest, oh God, hope to all of us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So now, as I shared last week, this is the wedding, uh, the verse that Beth had engraved uh, in my wedding ring. And uh, let me tell you about this. Um, this verse uh, it happens in the book of Colossians. Uh, Colossians is one of the books that Paul uh, wrote that he authored some interesting facts about it. They think uh, scholars think he wrote it somewhere around eighty sixty eighty sixty one. Um, Colossians is a church is a is a young church that Paul literally never visited, so he never went there, but he heard about it while he was in prison, 
And what he heard about was kind of two things, really challenging. He heard, number one, that um, a lot of people were being converted to the reality of who Jesus was. A lot of people were following, this is what it was referred to back then, they were beginning to follow what's called the way. They were, they were, they were coming to believe, and we're going to talk more about this, that Jesus had risen from the dead, that he can empower us to live very different, very distinct lives uh, that would impact everything around our world. And then, um, but he also learned this. He learned that there were infiltrators in the church that were bringing into the church wrong ideas about who Jesus actually was. There were imposters. We always have to be careful uh, about imposters. And uh, even though he never visited this place, he learned about these conflicting ideas as to who Jesus was. It was creeping into the church. And so he wrote a letter to address it. Now, this would be a good place to remember here uh, that remember what I shared a few weeks ago that C.S. Lewis, I think, had this uh, incredible observation where he said, if we're going to think about Jesus, we always have to think about Jesus on Jesus' terms. You, we're not ever allowed to kind of distill and, and contort Jesus into an image that he never wanted to be contorted into. We have to accept Jesus on his terms. Jesus never said he was a great teacher, never said he was a, a moral person, any of this kind of stuff. He said he was this. He said he was God in human flesh. So we have to understand, we have to accept him on that. We vote him up, we vote him down on that term. And so, so Paul enters into this uh, conversation, pause. Paul enters, <clears throat> that's made it worse, great. <laughs> Paul is, enters into this conversation and here's what he does. He begins to highlight, now, now follow, stay with me, okay? And it made sense before all the drugs. Let's hope it makes sense after the drug. So, so he offers some highlights as to Jesus' uniqueness. He, he gives some titles as to who Jesus is in this book. Powerful, I wanna give them to you, there are four of them. He said this, he said, Jesus is the exact image of the invisible God. So when you see Jesus, you see God. Anybody helped by that? Woo, man, praise God, right? How about this one? He is the one through whom God created everything. Gives me goosebumps right there, and I don't don't think that's the drugs. Okay, number three. (laughs) He's the head of the church. He's in charge. He's the head of the church. And then, and then la- this last one. He's the firstborn of all who will rise from the dead. <sighs> Anybody have a loved one who's gone ahead of you? Who's run on a little ahead? So I think about it now in my brain. She's run ahead. He's run ahead. (laughs) He's coming back. So he shares all these things. And this is important. Because he's not offering a theology lesson. He is reminding people that he's only heard about. That Jesus, by what he has done and by who he is, listen to this has made it possible for you to live a very different kind of life. It's possible. And uh, when you think about it, um, there's a kind of quality to life that sort of picks up an orientation. 
Now you go with me on this. Um, we become what we believe. It becomes our operating system. You turn on a computer, has an operating system. We develop in our minds and in our hearts, we develop an operating system. So it's very, very important what you believe. Now, here's, here's on a challenge. So see if, you can, see if you can stay with me. When we talk about um, our journey with Jesus, when most of us think or hear someone talk about the Christian faith, we often think or speak of it in terms of something we believe in, something we give mental assent to, right? Let me, let me just push on this forever. Conversations sometimes go like this. Uh, I'm from uh, North Florida. My, my background is, is, is uh, country in a way. So let me just, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm, I'm going to be my kin for a moment, okay? This is how the conversation goes. Hey, have you heard about Jesus? Uh-huh. Yeah. You want to go to heaven when you die? Maybe. Well, you got to believe in Jesus. Okay, I believe. Great, pass the mashed potatoes. What am I aiming at? Belief is a good thing. The Bible says we're supposed to believe, right? We, 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 we memorize verses of Scripture about this. You can say it with me, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever, what? Believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, I want to go on. This is a very good thing to believe in Jesus, but we all know that a genuine relationship involves more than just believing about the person you're in a relationship with. I have come to even understand as a pastor, as a leader in the church, I've come to understand some of us have been hurt in our walk with God because we have been forced to believe uh, in something quicker than we really ought to. And we manifest this false kind of mental ascent. Now, I'm going to push it into another space, but I'm going somewhere. I promise. I promise I'm going somewhere. Okay? Um, genuine belief takes time. To be honest, I hear people speak like this all the time when it comes to the relationship with God, but we never talk this way in terms of our relationship with other people. We don't ever talk about belief in a person as an idea. Now, we may come to a place where we go, I've learned to believe in them. What are we saying there? I've learned to trust in them. And so this is a really important word. And if you define trust, the Cambridge Dictionary defines trust as this, an assured, look at this, an assured reliance that someone or something is safe and reliable, okay? So let me, let me just to be clear, what I want to say here is um, we don't ever talk about our friends or our loved ones or kids or spouses like, well, I believe in her. I believe in him. What we do say about them is, I trust him. Uh, my kids know I believe in them, but, but, 
But they want more than that, right? They want, they want somebody as a father that's going to show up for them, that's going to cheer them on in this season where we find ourselves in, in our development and in our relationship. And so trust is a really, really important thing. But you cannot manifest trust from ground zero. You practice your way into it. And I want you to hold this thought in, in the room for a moment. It's not, um, when we talk about belief sometimes, belief is static. It's one-dimensional. Do you believe in Jesus? And what happens if we're not careful? People just want to know the, um, they want to know the minimum requirement. What do I got to do? You just got to believe. Okay, I believe. Well, that's not it, Right? It's more than that. It's a manufacture, a manifestation of trust, and trust is developed over time. Now, this is where, here's what I'm going to turn practical. This is where Paul really, really helps us because he gives us an orientation about life and about relationships that's very different from anything else we might ever read anywhere else. And if you read a lot of stuff about relationships like I do, all of what you read today for all of the relationship coaches that offer really good sound advice finds its rooting in the kind of principle that we're looking at right now, and I want to break it out to you. Think about this. Here's what Paul is literally saying. What the Apostle Paul is doing is he's talking here about our faith being something that we put on and that we try it out. We wear it. Uh, let me ask you a question. How many of you, okay, um, spend a little bit of time trying to figure out what you're going to wear for a day? Okay. Uh, another question, guys. You ever you ever nervous when your when your your spouse or your girlfriend, you know, like um, asks you if you like their outfit, <laughs> right? I remember when we were first married in Bethwood, you know, she'd emerge out of the closet. Friday night was date night, and she'd go, do you like what I wear? And I used to really think this is, I know there's, this is a trick question. I know it is. And I used to feel like if I don't answer this right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be put in the penalty box, this sort of thing. And um, a lot of us spend a lot of attention trying to think about uh, what we wear. So I, I learned recently about a little joke that, a, that has been, happening uh, in our staff about me that I kind of tripped into. And it emerged, I think, uh, from the comms team, which is really headed up by uh, Shelly and Maddie is our leader there, and Hunter. And um, they have picked up that, that I tend to wear a similar thing on the weekends. And I want to show you it. Ta-da. <laughs> so I kind of bumped into this, and um, apparently they've been keeping track. And uh, here's what I would want to say. Um, I've asked uh, Maddie and Hunter and Shelly to be in the lobby for you to wish them well after, 
wherever they're headed. Um, here's where I'm going with this. The orientation that Paul is placing down about the Christian experience actually has huge carryover in the way we do our relational world. Um, a lot of us think of a relationship with God just as something we just believe in. Don't for, remember, belief's important. If you misunderstand that, you're going to send me stinky grams later in the week. I'm, I'm not saying it's not important. But when we, when we do that too often, we think of it in terms of what I call bounded set. We can go on. And a bounded set is this. It's defined by the edges. What, is it, what does it take to be included? Now, here's an interesting thing. When you study the life of the Pharisees, what you notice is they kept all the rules, right? They kept all the rules. But did Jesus ever applaud their relationship with God? Not one time. Another way to look at it, those who write about this stuff, again, I'm going somewhere, is um, a centered set, which means that our, our journey toward faith in Christ is not defined by the edges, it's defined by the center. And if Jesus is in the center and we're moving toward him, we grow, our character changes. Here's my main point, taking notes. It's not true that there's either a 100% Christ follower or a 100% pagan. We're moving all the time. I'm either growing or I'm receding all the time. And when we move this over into a, a relational world, here's what I want to say. Those who study human relationships suggest to us that there is an orientation that we develop over time about how we do life, okay? And I want to give you the top three. One is this. Orientation one is we live life uh, as a victim, okay? Um, this is a passive way, to approach, passive way to approach life. We don't happen to life. Here's what it says. Life happens to us, and we respond. Um, many of us have encountered people who live like this. Now, here's what I want to say. Some of us, I think it's true, some of us have just, wouldn't you agree with me? Some of us have had a harder journey than others. That's just true, right? Um, trauma, abuse, right? That's a real thing, right? That's a real thing. So hear me if that's you. Some of us have just, for whatever reason, life is not fair. We've just had a harder, harder journey. But the challenge is still in front of you to think about the orientation, about the way that you do life. One way they suggest that they write, uh, the writers uh, talk about is we orient around life as a victim. I remember a comic strip that used to come out in the paper when my parents got the paper when I was growing up. How many remember it was called The Born Loser? Right? And this dude just, bless his heart, he just could not catch a break, right? It just, you ever had people that you go, my gosh, they just, it just gets hard, you can't catch a break. And some of, some of this is that. And um, it's, it's a passive way to live. Now, here's the interesting thing. It appears passive, but um, this orientation is not passive 
because relationships are not passive. So if you live this way, you're defaulting into something. And here's the big thing I said earlier. You become whatever you orient your life toward. And so, so we see people sometimes, and this is their orientation, and this is, this is a real struggle because the approach to this life isn't passive as we think. It's not inactive. It's leading somewhere. Like, again, if you swim in the, in the ocean, the Gulf Stream is moving between four and seven miles an hour. You're not just still. You're moving. That's the kind of idea that we have around here. Now, the second orientation to way we live life is the polar opposite of this. Let me show it to you. It's called we live life with vengeance. If you read all of Colossians 3, this is exactly what Paul's talking about. Uh, and I want to I bear into this for just a moment. Notice with me it's polar opposite. If the first orientation is passive, the second is active. But here's the key. It's misdirected and misused activity. Whereas a victim orientation may be characterized as inactivity, this approach might be characterized as overactivity or over control. I had a friend who used to say it this way all the time. He'd say, hurt me once, shame on you. Can you finish it? Hurt me twice, shame on me. What was he doing? He was living with a vengeance mindset. In other words, it's um, legalistic, it's narrow, it's controlling, and it's incredibly destructive. Most of us know people like this, and here's what we do. We keep our distance from people like that. Uh, I find a biblical narrative around this idea because um, in, this is very fascinating to me. In the New Testament, you find, often you find these triads where Jesus, um, let me explain it to you. First of all, it's called like a sin of the flesh. And sins of the flesh are thought of as this. Go with me for a moment. Appetites that, um, you, that, that um, start to control you. Lust, greed, gluttony, laziness, drunkenness, this sort of thing. Okay? Sins of the flesh. The other kind of sin in the Bible is called sins of the spirit. And sins of the spirit have less to do with our biology but way more to do with our soul. Follow me. Pride, arrogance, self-righteousness, judgmentalism. And here's what you find in the New Testament. Jesus was incredibly um, focused on this dynamic. And he often created, um, he often saw the creation of, he would often create these triads that put both of these things on display. Somebody who had the sin of the flesh, somebody who had sin of the spirit, and then he would say something about it. If you're taking notes, I'll give you four of them real quick. How about the Pharisee and the sinful woman who anointed Jesus' feet with oil? Or the Pharisee and the tax collector? Or the prodigal son and the older brother? Or the religious leader and the woman caught in the act of adultery? And in every case, Jesus was clearly more scandalized by the sins of the spirit, because in every case, those sinners thought it was possible to love God and hate people. And Jesus rebuked it. When you and I think about our relational world, 
we have got to make some decisions about how we're going to orient toward life. Why, Pastor Dale? Because you become your orientation. If you've ever been around somebody with a, with a victim mentality, here's what I would just tell you. For that person, even though they may have had some hard knocks, it's just never enough. It's just never enough. There's like this insatiable need for something. Often we can't define it. Many of us see people who are characterized by vengeance. They control everything. They're angry about everything. And if they can't control it, their anger doubles down and they pollute everyone and everything around them. And you become that person. And every time we face a broken trust with somebody in our relational world, because we're all human, we're forced with this decision. Victim or vengeance? Jesus actually offers one other approach. Let me show it to you. We become an apprentice of Christ-like virtue. The passage of scripture we just read is literally, literally what Paul is saying is you and I can put this on and we can begin to wear it and it becomes the self-identifying characteristic of our lives. Over every experience we have in our relationship world, good or bad, we enter into an apprenticeship. I want to to show you a picture. We tried to find a picture. We tried to find a picture without cigarette. And we tried to find a picture without um, the instrument. Anybody know who this is? It's Pablo Casals. Pablo Casals um, was the most celebrated cellist for many, many, many years in the world. And somebody interviewed uh, Pablo Casals uh, near the end of his life. He was, uh, he was way up in age. And they asked him why he continued to practice for so many hours a day. Okay? And here's what Casals said. Literally, his first answer just kind of popped out of his head. He said, because I think I'm getting better. Isn't that awesome? This is what Paul is talking about. These virtues, put them on. Try them out. Don't be like me and wear the same outfit every Sunday. Okay? I want to close in this verse of Scripture. Here's the sad part about my outfit. I actually know I'm doing that. I don't know if that's more embarrassing or not. I'll let you decide. Notice what Peter said. So his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and goodness. Watch this. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. 
Today is a day when many of us, if you have any allegiance to a team or not, right, you're going you're gonna, to you're self-identify. Chiefs fans, uh, Swifties, <laughs> 49ers, <laughs> okay? This is what God is asking you to do in your faith. Participate. Try it on. See what happens if you do. Lord, help us. We, we need help. Uh, we, need to, we need an approach to life, Lord, that doesn't look like what we so often see in our world. And some of these tensions, they threaten to destroy us. So God, would you give us wisdom and courage to choose wisely? in all of this for the sake of our lives and for the sake of your kingdom for we pray in Jesus name and everybody said amen thank you Pastor Dale Um, I'm going to give us a benediction here would you prepare your hearts to receive this now may you go forth from this place as an apprentice of Jesus putting on his virtues so that you may be a person of love in all your relationships. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. We're going to have prayer teams up here at the front if you need prayer for anything. So come this way before you go that way. Otherwise, go in God's peace. We'll see you next weekend.